0: Welcome to the Creativity Everything podcast, where we get to learn from creators in all fields about everything creative. Hello, bonjour, and welcome to episode number four of the Creativity Everything podcast, I'm recording this on this beautiful day in Toronto during the global pandemic due to COVID-19, so I hope you're all staying safe and healthy inside your homes and socially distant from other people. Wash your hands, friends! Also, I can't believe I'm actually saying this, and it's the fourth episode of this podcast season take that resistance. Who knew? Well, I'm not going to jinx it. The season is not over yet and we still have more episodes to go, but it's nice to celebrate the milestones along the way. So for this episode, I had the absolute honor to interview Jamie Miller. Jamie is a sustainable designer and one of the few biomimicry experts in the world. Originally trained by Janine Benyus, I think that's how I pronounce her last name, the woman who coined the term biomimicry. He's the founder of Biomimicry Frontiers, an organization helping landowners, businesses and communities make design decisions that are in harmony with their environments. He also co-taught Canada's only biomimicry program at OCAD University. This conversation covers a wide range of topics. Jamie gives an overview of biomimicry, how he sees his practice as a creative practice, some of the techniques he's used to building his business, and how he gets out of creative gluts, just to name a few. Sam, who edits these interviews, thank you, Sam, said this one was fascinating and couldn't stop talking about biomimicry for days. I completely agree, and it's actually, it's pushed me to find ways to incorporate biomimicry in my practice and my work, because I really feel like there's something there, it's all-encompassing. I'm not sure exactly how it's gonna look like, but we'll see. Also, Jamie was in Guelph and I was in Toronto, so this was my first remote interview, so just bear with me as I was learning the technical technicalities of doing this. Um, I think it was fine, but just to let you know. All right, without further ado, let's listen to Jamie. Jamie, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I'm personally super excited to hear your thoughts on creativity and how it relates to you and what you do as a sustainable designer and with your work with biomimicry. But I thought we could start by first going back to the basics so that everyone who's listening to this conversation who's not maybe familiar with biomimicry can understand what it is and what you do so that when we go into more of the specifics later in the conversation um, we can all follow along so um, could you give us a brief overview of what biomimicry is and how you use it in your practice?
1: Very simply, biomimicry is innovation that is inspired by nature. And most people recognize it through Velcro, which was inspired by burrs. It was just an engineer in the 40s, saw those burrs sticking to his dog's hair and thought that's a pretty interesting idea and took it under a microscope to see those hooks and copied those hooks to make Velcro. So very simply, biomimicry is recognizing that nature does design. But deeper than that, um, it's more about recognizing that nature does design sustainably. Um, For example, spider silk is made with body temperature and pressure and is a fully recyclable material and has a strength to weight greater than anything we've ever made. So through 3.8 billion years of evolution, nature has found really clever ways of designing forms and processes and systems. And biomimicry is just about recognizing that reality and learning how to tap into those ideas and and apply them to our own challenges at biomimicry frontiers we use biomimicry as a lens for um, inspiring creativity and innovation so we work with landowners and developers and help make more sustainable strategies by integrating nature's principles and biomimetic technologies and i'll give you an example In a house that we're designing in India, um, one of the challenges was how do we cool this house um, and how can we do it passively? And we looked to local organisms who know how to thrive in those conditions and borrowed some ideas. We looked at the barrel cactus and the way that its ribbing structure helps create passive shading and cooling. We also looked to the elephant and elephant skin... um, has this beautiful technology where the cracks allow water and moisture to kind of collect. So when an elephant goes into a pond and gets all soaked up, um, when it's walking through the desert, all that water doesn't evaporate quickly. Those cracks create some sort of protection and it allows the elephant to evaporatively cool over longer periods of time. So we, um, in this house design, just copied that technology and we made a wall Um, we designed a wall that uh, could allow water to trickle through these rocks. And the rocks have the same kind of crevice method as the elephant skin. And those cracks and the shading that those cracks create uh, allow the moisture to evaporate over a longer period of time. And when it's evaporating, it pulls the hot air from the house. So that's a very basic example of how we use biomimicry. um, But fundamentally, we use it in all of our decision, decision making, even in how we run our business, um, uh, how we engage clients and how we do design.
0: Could you dive deeper in how you use biomimicry, So inspiration from nature on, um, how you run your business?
1: Yeah. Um, one of the things I'm inspired by in in an ecosystem is how, um, there's no real hierarchical structure. Um, All organisms have the freedom to do what they want, and they're all working towards kind of a common goal, I could say. Um, With Frontiers, it's very important for us to have that lateral communication strategy. So how can we share resources and allow different ideas to infiltrate our decision-making? So it's a very, because we're a small company, we have the luxury that we can kind of um, work with our our team in a way that everyone has an opinion, they know what's going on in their sector or what they're working on. And we allow that bottom up innovation to kind of emerge. Everyone has the freedom to make their own decisions, but we're all moving towards a similar direction. An example actually, Yvonne Chenard from Patagonia, he put it really well. And when you all would spend three months a year fly fishing, And he said, if his factory is burning down, don't call him because there's nothing he's going to do about it. He says, you can figure it out. You know how to do it. And that's, to me, a biomimetic principle of of really giving that freedom, um, that independence to the people in charge um, or the people that are working in certain areas.
0: So you're decentralizing decision making to empower the people who are locally impacted and you give them autonomy to do the work.
1: That's right. Yes, exactly. So we have a designer in Germany and um, she runs, you know, the European designs. I And our goal is to have biomimicry frontiers on every continent because we do work internationally. Um, it doesn't make any sense for me to work on a s- project in Singapore because I don't know anything about that con- that context. And so Another way is we really, really want to work towards locally attuned designs. And that includes having people who are from the area, um, work on those projects instead of us jet setting around and trying to make locally attuned designs when we really don't know the context at all.
0: Mm-hmm. And so if I think back to the work that you've done, uh, that biomimicry frontiers has done in India, um, then I'm guessing you worked with people locally, because uh, my question, I guess, is how did you think about looking at the elephants, for example, and why not another species or another um, element of the environment?
1: Yeah, um, I'll go back to the, the first question. We The first thing that I did was a site, a pretty in-depth site analysis. And when I do a site analysis, what I'm looking for are assets. So not only ecological assets like the elephant, but also social assets like what expertise is in that area. Who could we draw on? Who could we um, support in participating in this project? And that's really was the first thing that I did. The reason we picked the elephant was really just, I I would say um, in our research of biological organisms, it's just one that popped up that was really interesting. And I thought, looking at the context, we have this big house with a lot of surface area that doesn't have access to rain um, all of the time what is a structure or an organism that could resemble that context or or that problem? And that's where the elephant came in. It's a a giant physical structure. Um, It can move, which is different than the house, but it's still like, how does it keep cool? And that kind of had us, you know, draw the parallel between the two situations, the design problem and the biological inspiration.
0: That was a really good and brief overview of what biomimicry is and if people who are listening want to learn more they can look it up uh, and go on uh, your website as well Mm -hmm. um so now that we're all on the same page um i'd love to hear your thoughts on uh creativity obviously because that the point of this podcast and the conversations that we have and so I'd love to hear your thoughts on the creativity creativity that's involved in sustainable design and biomim- biomimicry as a whole and how you consider your practice a creative practice.
1: Yeah I would really say that's the key element of biomimicry frontiers is we bring creativity um, to a design challenge and biomimicry is is really our primary tool. Um, The thing about biomimicry is that once you dive into it, you start to recognize that almost any problem that we face may have a solution in nature.
0: As in, nature has already seen that problem. And so why not look at what nature has done? And that, that informs, for example, if I'm facing a problem... Probably in 3.8 billion years uh, of R&D, nature has faced it already. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So looking at basically that library of development and products and designs to see what I could use to solve my problem.
1: Yep, that's it. The example I was going to give is uh, um, somebody who works with Tridel, which is a major developer. Um, They have this piece of property. In Toronto? No, it's in... The property is is in the um, on the Canadian Shield, so it's up north a bit. And one of the challenges up there is how do you build the piping system? Because there's so much bedrock and so much rock, how can we deal with pipes and specifically the f- freezing of pipes? And so he just shot an email to me saying that question. And the first thing I thought was, well, don't build pipes. And then the second part was, well, I think of a tree on an escarpment. Uh, If you imagine the escarpment um, in Hamilton or running up to the Bruce Peninsula, um, there's so many trees that attach to the outside of those rocks. And I was like, well, how does that tree create those root systems on top of the rock and not freeze? And just by doing a quick search, I learned more about that um, and kind of inspired a creative, you know, imagination of like, well, what if we could build pipes on top of the rocks like the cedar trees on an escarpment? What would that take so um, as a creative process it gives me a different lens uh, for how to uh, attack a problem and what i love about it is that it kind of takes me out of the the paradigm or the way that we think collectively the status quo you know people think if we need to move water well, just use pipes um because that's the way it's been done or that's what we've been using for so long but what if there's a different way of doing things? And that's kind of what biomimicry does is it, it invites you to explore a different way of doing things, one that's more natural and potentially more sustainable. I see.
0: Um, you're in um, you're in engineering and oftentimes people who are in engineering in university don't really consider themselves creatives um, or creative people. And so I was wondering if like how that, whether you had to go through a mindset transformation when you found, found biomimicry and product development uh, and sustainable design, or if you always considered yourself a creative person. Um, yeah, so I'd love to hear kind of that side of the journey of you for you.
1: Yeah, it's it's funny because um, I would have said I didn't consider myself creative, but um, I don't think that's the case. But I, it reminded me of um, in high school, which is where this really all began, was uh, taking an art class. And I just remember uh, the teachers, <laughs> I thought I did a really beautiful piece. And I remember it, it, it was, uh, I think, I don't know if it failed, but it was like a really bad mark. And I was like, Oh, okay. So I'm not an artist. got it. And then I was good at math and science. And so I was like, that's where I'll go. And I kind of just followed that process and went into engineering blindly, really not knowing what engineering was, but in the courses I was taking at Queens, um, I, there was a very strong conviction that what I was being taught wasn't, th- this couldn't be the only way to do things. It was, it was taught with, uh, you know, a sense of this is how it's done. Um, you need to know this so that you can go out and build in the world.
0: Did you, re- do you remember feeling that conviction, uh, having that conviction, um, it, within yourself at some point when you were taking your, your classes or like, did it just happen within you or do you remember other people also feeling that way
1: yeah i didn't i didn't talk to other people about that it was definitely internal um and it was really st- it was really strong and then what i was going to say is that when i went into environmental engineering i thought we'd be learning about the environment and 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 when we, f- I found out it was really just about engineering the environment. Um, that's when it even got stronger. Is like, okay, this this can't be the only way to do things. Which is why, once I took that math and poetry, um, cor- the the elective, um, and we learned about the Fibonacci spiral and that nature follows this mathematical model, um, ubiquitous. It's ubiquitous in nature. So you think of the spiral that you see in the pine cones, um, or you see in. Um, the packaging of sunflower seeds or in the way that waves curl or even your skin pores follow the same spiral or even the galaxy in the way that it's expanding from the Big Bang. It all follows the same Fibonacci spiral. And for whatever reason, that was an absolute mind shift for me because it helped me recognize, oh, well, nature is doing design or it could be described by math um, in a way that could teach us about packaging or about movement, about fluid dynamics. Uh, and then that's really what set me off on a complete paradigm shift. And and I've been um, committed to it ever since. And that was in 2004 that we took that class. And um, I ended up doing graduate work only because I wanted to keep learning about this and then eventually started Biomimicry Frontiers to then learn how to apply this philosophy in these things.
0: So throughout your Life, you had that strong internal conviction that something needed to be done um, differently, and then it came during university. Okay, interesting. Did you feel like you had to battle anything internally from because it's a very different mindset that you're using now, uh, or even in terms of biomimicry, than what you had been taught taught throughout high school and even university and engineering. Um, mm-hmm. Cause personally, I feel like I'm unlearning a lot of things. Uh, I'm learning a lot of things, but I'm also unlearning a lot of things to be able to get out of my own way yeah. <laughs> basically at this point. Uh, Cause I feel like I was, was taught a lot right. of um, not useless, but uh, not effective patterns and, and ways of thinking. Um, mm-hmm. And so did you feel like it was um, a smooth transition or was it kind of difficult even psychologically? Because th- the reason why I'm asking is that I know personally for me it's been quite um, tra- quite a transformation and still going on. And sometimes it's hard to reconcile the all the parts of my identity I would say
1: yeah no it's a great point and question and to the answer it's it's simply um it's a constant struggle (laughs) um it's not a bad struggle though I think that's the key is um I remember finishing my PhD and I talked to a friend about starting a business or not and um he helped me kind of weigh the pros and cons and I could have just gone into an engineering company. And that was a very high, you know, possibility, just get a job and uh, settle in. And then I, I remember biking home from the school and having this very clear image in my head of me on my deathbed and looking back at my life and thinking, you know, if I got an engineering job, uh, that person on, on their deathbed would, would definitely be disappointed. I could feel a disappointment that I didn't at least give it a shot. And so that moment was a motivator. It's like, okay, I'm going to give it a shot, and I'll give myself a timeline. Um, and that's was the inspiration to to take this on. And um, it's it's a real challenge to follow your instinct or your intuition in a world that really wants to not have not not to say troublemakers, but it's not to have innovation because innovation represents change and. A lot of systems and people are afraid of change because there's a real comfort in having that certainty so for any creative uh, any innovator um there there might be a constant struggle that you're going to be going against status quo and and society may fiercely resist your ideas but um staying true um, and convict like staying true to your conviction and knowing what you want to do and what you're capable of doing um is the most important thing on the grand scheme of things when you think back on your deathbed you know you gave it your best shot and you know you were in in integrity with yourself but to answer your question no it may be a constant struggle which is why um, i feel so fortunate to have really good people that surround me um that help motivate me and and push me and And really get me comfortable with that discomfort. I think that's a big key for innovation and creativity: is that you have to um, almost thrive in that discomfort um, and be okay with the unknown and and being okay with rejection. And and really, I heard this recently: just seeing changing the the lens of rejection to lessons. You know, everything um, that doesn't work, just take it as a lesson, and then it's not so devastating. Wow!
0: Thanks for sharing. Uh, Have so many thoughts from everything you just said um Nelson Mandela said I don't win I don't lose I, I'm butchering it obviously but the point is I don't win I don't lose I learn so that goes directly back to what you're saying of if we change the way we look at the reality of something not working out and Being detached from the outcome and just take it as a learning experiment as if um, life Mm -hmm. in general, everything that we're doing is a learning experiment. And then using that lens of curiosity, it actually, um, I find it kind of releases my stress um, Mm -hmm. and it allows me to be more in the present and actually Mm -hmm. recognize opportunities that I didn't see when I felt um, anxious uh, about making it work, having having to make it work. Um so that one of the things that I thought while you were saying. And then the second thing was um a lot of people actually a lot of creatives and high performers have talked about that. Um you know that vision that you had about seeing yourself in the on your deathbed and regretting the idea of not even trying and not even giving your best shot. Um yeah, it's a great way of putting it to – it's a great thought exercise to actually do to, <laughs> to ask yourself, okay, what is it that you really want? Like, what is it that um, – and, and tap into that intuition and that internal self um, and not be in the short-term mindset because mm-hmm. you're actually looking at something from a bird's eye view. Um, so it's really powerful.
1: Yeah. There's two things that I want to say to that is you're you're right. Biomimicry is long-term thinking, um, which is also why it may not be so well accepted. Is because you know, I think a lot of companies and people are, are more short, short-sighted, and and biomimicry is a long-term commitment. But the other thing I wanted to say just about failure um, is. This is a more social example of biomimicry and how it applies to um, psychology and and our social structure. But I was studying something called the adaptive cycle, which is an ecological model for that explains really evolution, how how nature evolves and how nature is so resilient. And one of the keys to natural resilience is um, small scale release and reorganization. So in a state of conservation. Um, you know, when you have a, a large complex forest, uh, a forest is using small scale releases all of the time. You know, it could be, um, leaves falling. It could be a branch falling. It could be a whole tree falling, or it could just be the bar or the, the tree picking up signals from its environment and making genetic changes at a very small scale. But these really small adaptations allow the system to reorganize also at a small scale, and, and humans, we love and tend to conserve systems because again, we don't like that uncertainty of change. So we'll put a lot of energy into keeping things static and the same. You can see that in our buildings or our piping systems. We love to put energy into maintaining them, but it also works on a psychological um, basis as well, where people will conserve you know, certain thoughts or certain relationships um, or certain beliefs because those provide a sense of security. Um, but in order to evolve, you have to let go and letting go is a very difficult process psychologically. Um, because it's, it's, it can be terrifying, but it also can open up a whole new world of possibility that, that really could lead you in a, in a totally different journey. So as my friend and I say, often it's like allow the small scale releases and, and that's how you can see failure as well as, um, Nature has safe fails. We, we look for fail-safe technologies. We don't want things to fail, but uh, uh, leaves falling you know, uh, every fall or autumn allow for better leaves to come in the spring because they're picking up information. So allow those small-scale releases, um, both in terms of our designs and of our own, our own thinking, to allow new innovative ideas to emerge.
0: Oh, no, I completely agree. And it's because these principles can be applied to everything else that you do in your life, um, whether it's it's work, your career, your friendships, your way of managing um, your work-life balance and and all these things. And ultimately, it's iterating at a small scale. And so if I think in the startup world, um having an MVP or minimal viable product and just shipping something out of the out of the door and then testing it, ultimately nature is doing that. And then learning from those tests and iterating and constantly iterating and iterating and iterating and not wait mm-hmm. to build a huge product before you test to see that it's not working. Mm-hmm. Um okay. Back to your previous um answer about i'm gonna give it a shot give it a fair shot and i'm gonna give myself a timeline um can you share with us what that timeline was i'm curious to learn more because i'm thinking about people listening who might be in that position of uh, wanting to or feeling that they need to do this thing um but at the same time, obviously it's very risky, um, mm-hmm. but at the same time feeling that pull and that drive. And I feel like having that timeline and um, a safe way to fail, basically, and again, seeing it as a, as a lesson and not as a mm-hmm. painful failure. Um, what was the timeline and how did you make it a safe way for you to, even if it didn't work out?
1: Yeah, the, so the timeline I still remember was 6 months and um I do that I've done that often actually since since I started um gave myself a 6 month timeline um really committed to it and then knew afterwards that okay I'll, after that I can just look for a job. Um what made it safe was um just recognizing where my finances were at the time, what I could afford. Um and yeah, and and <laughs> coming from a PhD a life in education i I really hadn't worked much, so it had to just bank on my savings and I knew what I was comfortable with but six months was the timeline and after six months, I was like, "Oh okay, this is so far so good and i actually I'll tell you another story because within this was just last year um I focused on building the biomimicry courses, the online courses that were work, that we have. And um, I was really committed to that. So it was another six months. Well, and then I worked on those and and the consulting started to slow up because I was focusing on something else. And again, I was like, okay, we're at a tipping point here. It's like either we do this or we don't. And I gave myself another six months and it got to the point where it was I was so stressed um, that that's why I gave myself another timeline. Um, and I was like, okay, I can't do this forever. So six months. And I remember it was within like five or six days before the six month mark. Um, we got this contract, um, everything boosted, everything kind of came back to, um, to life. And, and I was in the process. I was even doubting myself. I, 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 applied for small jobs, um, and I was about to take one and it was just about, two days after that, that I received, you know, the, the, this, the contract and, and that really totally shifted the whole company. So even though I've given myself timelines within that timeline, uh, there's a, a necessity to really commit to it. It gets really, you know, troubling and scary. It, it might be just, uh, you know, a test, uh, of how committed you are to that idea. Um, but for, for me, I, I guess it's just, yeah, we got lucky, but the timeline seemed to to help a lot and and give us you know something to focus on and um yeah even even with those the thought of leaving or trying something new it was it was helpful to have that timeline and just to commit to it and go through the finish line don't don't quit early was kind of the point of that second story,
0: yeah, and trust the process that even if it's you when you're in the trenches and you're and you're doing it and it's scary and things don't seem to work out then at least just know well i feel like it's all these things are just those voices in your head and doubts Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. that you have and then as long as you give yourself a timeline and go through it fully commit during that time period while being while having a a financial plan because ultimately that's how we need to live in this world and then do it Mm -hmm. yeah because that's how that's the only way that you'll actually create a a worthwhile product or anything that is of quality that could help you then in the long run do whatever you, you want
1: yeah yeah on top of that something that i've been more focused on is really knowing what i want to get out of those six months um clearly defining that. And that's something I heard a podcast once, uh, uh, something that a lot of entrepreneurs don't ask enough or don't know the answer to, which is what do you want? And if you can have a clearly defined goal or result and a purpose for why you want that result, uh, I find that my level of success is much higher because it allows me to focus. It keeps me on track. It doesn't you know, f- have me floating around wasting time, wasting those six months. Um, but that's been a big impact for me.
0: Um, I love that. I love that you just said that. Cause I feel like I'm, I'm going through something, something similar these days of basically that exploration of what is it that I truly want? And then finding a way to, cause when you, when you find that, then you're, you're propelled, your focus is, um, mm-hmm. uncomparable than if you have little distractions that can pull you back in many different directions Mm -hmm. um so my question i had two questions the one the first one was um how did you figure out that you wanted to concentrate on the courses for six months like how did that come to you Uh, because that's pretty different than um than your consulting work uh, for landowners and 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 builders and in the built environment, sorry. Uh, And then my second question, when you have that goal, Mm -hmm. what's your practice to come back to that goal? And um, do you write it in a notebook or how do you, I don't know, do you have a vision board or something like that? Like what helps you in your day-to-day stay motivated and making sure that you're on track?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, To the first part, why did I, I choose the courses? Um, so yeah, one of the things is, uh, you know, maybe people are asking like, how do I, I know I hear this a lot. They don't know what they want. Um, and that's, that's one of the big challenges is to find out what you want to do and what, what it is you want to achieve. But sometimes if you can really listen to your intuition or you, you can hear a voice, that's kind of calling out. That's what was happening at that time. Um, I had just Recently left OCAD University teaching the biomimicry programs. Um, I had a lot of students reaching out to me, asking where they could do biomimicry, and it kind of it kind of became a a loud voice that I couldn't ignore anymore. Um, to make this course, it's something that I've been thinking about for a long time: is creating a platform or a course or something for people to to learn about biomimicry. So that's it was kind of me fed up with that. Not answering that question anymore. Um, and so I just went and did it and you're right. It, it did shift my business for that, that six months. Um, and the courses aren't launched yet still, but, um, they're complete and just being edited now and, uh, in a much better place. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the reason why I focused on the course is just because there's a, a nagging kind of voice in my head, um, saying that this needs to be done. You've been wanting to do it for a long time. Just put your head down and do it.
0: So you were teaching a a course at OCAD and for people who are not from Toronto, uh, it's the Ontario College of Art and Design. And so you were teaching a course on on biomimicry. um, I'm guessing in the environmental design program? Yes, yeah. Okay. Um, And so for people who are interested in learning more about biomimicry um, who don't go to OCAD, for example, they'd be able to... Learn um, some of the content through an online course that you're just putting together?
1: That's correct, yeah.
0: Okay, and then my second question was um, when you have found that goal, uh, what you were saying about making sure that you're fully committed and you're concentrated and focused towards that goal, how on a day to day basis? Um, operationally, how do you how do you stay on track? How do is it through notebooks or do you have a board or how do you make sure that you're going in the right direction and you're not? Um...
1: Yeah, it's it's a good question. There's there's a technology that I use called um, it's called CPR, but it stands for context, purpose, and results, and it's something that I'll do every six months with um, a group of friends. Um, And it kind of sets me up for exactly what I'm focusing on for that six-month chunk. Um, It's one of the tools actually that uh, I'll use even on a daily basis. Um, Every day, I'll look at what is it that I want to achieve in that day? Why do I want to achieve it? And the context really stands for who do you have to be to achieve that? Um, An example might be You know, if you have a lot of um, a very difficult proposal, maybe a context is like grind it out or something that can get you in the headspace of like you just got to get this done. Stay focused. Don't um, get distracted. Um, Or if you're like meeting a group of students, you know, the context might be like playful exploration. And it gives you the mindset that you want to step into in that in that experience. So the CPR is something that um, I use often, and that gives me very clear focus on what to achieve for that six month period, or even the day. Um, and it's one of the tools actually that I present in the course, um, the last module. There are three modules in the course, and the last module gives you a bunch of these tools that uh, I've been using or I've developed um, to help me build biomimicry frontiers and and create you know the the business that that I that I, that I have. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, are there any resources, um, that you'd recommend right now for people to learn and maybe apply these biomimetic principles, um, for their own lives?
1: Um, I mean, the shark's paintbrush is a great, um, book on biomimicry business. And there's another book called teaming, um, by Tasmeen Woolley Baker, I believe her last name is. And she talks more about the social aspects of biomimicry and how it's applied to organizational behavior or corporate structures. Um, those are two good resources for, for people to reach out to. Unfortunately, beyond that, um, biomimicry 3.8 is, is your headquarters really for biomimicry and education. And, and they are a wealth of information and resources. Um, they're based out of Montana. Um, yeah, beyond that, I, I would say that that's about it. Um, I mean, the point of the course was really to help fill that niche and that gap. So, um, the course we're building gives you—it's um, really focused on helping people uh, apply biomimicry to to their lives, but helping them identify what it is that they they really want to do, and how biomimicry can inform that. So, giving them the template for doing what I'm doing, which is really, I built a business that um, aligns with who I am and and really gets me excited. Um, And it's a contribution to the, you know, to the planet, the big problems that I want to work on.
0: Mm -hmm. The wicked problems that we need to face in the 21st century.
1: That's exactly it.
0: Because I'm guessing you, you found that purpose. And now that that's what gives you tremendous energy. Um, and, and the ability to focus, to be able to do all that work that you're doing. Because ultimately you could have gotten a engineering job after graduate school and that would have been less work, I'm guessing. <laughs>
1: probably. Yes, I think
0: so. <laughs> um, but you, <laughs> but you didn't, and I'm guessing, well, from, with the times we met, and from um, this conversation, that you're more fulfilled in this way, yeah, than in the alternative, even though it's harder.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say a big part of that is just yeah, when you are aligned with with what you really want, you are more motivated to make it through those, you know, those challenging periods.
0: I'm really looking forward to to the courses because um, I um, I can share this with. People listening, but, um, I came to one of your workshops in Guelph on on biomimicry, and I remember that was one of the big conversations that we had with the group um, finding that purpose, basically right remember that um diagram that you showed about all the overlap overlapping I think it was vocation basically purpose was in the in the middle um, and so if I think. It's kind of r- relieving to know that there are ways um, tactically to look for that because I feel like a lot of people around in our world is, are not um, listening or haven't found that. And it's, it's a bit of a waste for our society, I would say, um, and even for themselves.
1: I completely agree. We we call that um, inner biomimicry, and one of the things I, I recognize teaching is that um, even at um, in those courses, the creative courses that I was teaching, um, people I felt like they weren't accessing their you know their true potential, or and that was my, at least my goal was to help them really tap into um, what it is that they have to offer because that's the ultimate for me is how how do we get as many people lit up and really inspired by what they're doing and giving their full their full potential while they're here so um a big part of what we do um in the course is look for you know that inner biomimicry like what another way of putting it is like what are you a natural at because you have natural assets that just like my consulting, I'm looking for those natural assets. What are your talents? What are your visions? What are your dreams? Um, and then align that with what you're doing. Um, and that's what I want out of this course is that for people to find their inner, their inner biomimicry to, to really know what they're natural at, and then to learn how to see nature from, the, uh, uh, from that lens and find solutions from nature to help support that, that dream or goal.
0: Because again, nature has done R and D for three point eight billion years, (laughs) so it's a safe way.
1: Exactly.
0: Um, bit of of a more tactical question. Now that your six months timeline um is over for the creation of the course, did you go back to um, doing more consulting work, or how do as a business owner, how do you manage that ebb and flow? of changing projects in very different fields in this situation.
1: Yeah. The, the courses. So at the start of this year, we made a conscious effort to focus on consulting, to keep applying biomimicry. Um, the courses were at a place where, um, they were kind of on a standstill and I was okay with where they were at at the time. But what really happened is I just hired somebody, um, uh, full time who has multiple skills, but what I'm really excited about is just handing off the courses now to her and she's really owning the success of those. So that allows me to keep going out and doing the consulting and getting consulting, um, while she owns that, you know, that part of the business.
0: I see. So again, giving that person full autonomy and trusting that it will work. Um, and so not being too attached to the work that you've done in, that's pretty inspiring uh that you're able to transfer that to someone else and let them figure it out and make it grow with their own way.
1: Yeah. Well, I know I know she's better at it than I am, so that's why that's why it's easy to, to hand it off. Um so it makes it it makes it easier when when you hire the right people.
0: For sure. Um Okay. Another curious thought that actually um, our mutual friend, Karen, (laughs) had, uh, and she wanted me to ask, uh, since she knows I was talking to you today, do you um, ever experience creativity gluts? Um, And so how do you continue to find inspiration while also staying grounded uh, to building an executable product?
1: Um, yes, I do. I do experience those. Uh, I'd say often, um, I know for me, and this is probably a personal thing. I'm most creative when I'm with other people. Um, so I feed off of the energy and inspiration of other people. So if I'm ever in that situation and if I'm conscious about it, I will call somebody. Sometimes I'm stubborn and I'll just try and sit down and and muscle through it, which is always dumb because it's a waste of time. But, um, if I just leave that project and talk to somebody about it, the inspiration seems to flow much more fluidly.
0: As in you start, you just talk about it to that person and then in your head, it seems to flow better. Like the knots start to loosen and then you see what your next step should be.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, it's a question about how do you choose who to talk to because sometimes um I totally agree and I feel like I'm experiencing things uh in a similar way where I def I started by doing things more on my own and alone and then I realized that by involving other people in my process I was actually getting better at it or I was doing better things um so, how do you decide who to talk to? Is it uh, someone from your personal life or someone, one of your um, colleagues or mentors or peers from the biomimicry community, or is it someone from a completely different industry um, to get a, a different perspective and a different mindset? I'm very curious to hear about that.
1: Yeah, um, it's usually people close to me. I have a, a really good friend who we talk often and he's a really good critical kind of eye. so he'll he knows me quite well through this process and isn't afraid to give me really honest feedback and that really helps me um, helps challenges my ideas Um, so he's one person but I would just say like the diversity of people you never know who might spark some inspiration or a different thought and I found even in my research in my PhD having diverse opinions is really effective Um, so people that you wouldn't expect people that might not agree with you, um, can help challenge your ideas, but also people who, um, you seem to light up around and get really creative. Um, I think it'd probably just be a balance of those. But for me personally, I have a couple people in my life that, um, one is very inspirational and helps me see things and see possibilities. And the other one helps me do that, but also critically analyzes it. So it's not just daydreaming.
0: I really like that combination because it, um, it definitely is a, a really good indicator to observe that energy that you have around other people and and use that as a data point to know who to talk to. But at the same time, <laughs> with creativity, you need to... It's a constant balance between being open and being closed so that you are open and, and listen and let things uh, flow and not limit your thinking while at the same time finding ways to closed in the sense that you still need to build and, and bring something to completion uh because otherwise it you're it's an ever starting point and you're not finishing anything um yeah okay jamie thank you so much for taking the time again to do this uh very grateful that you took the time to to do this and share your thoughts on creativity and sustainable design biomimicry and definitely when the courses are out we'll Put them on the show notes so that people can find them. You've been listening to the Creativity Everything podcast, which is produced and hosted by Camille Favreau with audio editing by Sam Sturmer. It's co-produced and has music by me, David Gauntler. I run the Creativity Everything Lab at Ryerson University. Creativity Everything was founded to support all kinds of creators and all kinds of creativity. We want to help you unlock your creative self. If you enjoyed it, please like and subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends.